1 Samuel chapter 30. It has been a, a real treat for us to get to know some of you, and it's been a great honor to meet many of you. And again, we want to thank you for your hospitality, your graciousness with us. And uh, it's been a blessing just to see what's happening here, to see the facility, to see the people, and to see some things are different. Believe it or not, my wife and I, we've been in church our whole life. That doesn't mean we know a lot, obviously, but we didn't know a lot of the songs today. And we kept looking at each other like maybe we are out of the will of God or something because we knew like the names, but evidently you have a different hymnal with different melodies than what we're used to. So we were all mixed up over there. We felt like heathens, learning songs, looking up. So forgive us. But uh, great, the Bible quiz you do and the way the worship was this morning, it really is refreshing for me to see how other churches do it. So thank you. And thank you for being here. Evidently, you're about an hour south of Detroit, correct? And evidently, the ball has just kicked off. Does anyone? What? No, no, no. Here's the deal. You're a blessing because you're here. I'm from Buffalo. So we read about Pergamos this morning and how they were a church that worshipped where Satan's seat was, remember? In Buffalo, during football season, we worship where Satan's seat is. Because it's unbelievable. We worship the Bills in Buffalo. And when I say unbelievable, it's unbelievable. The city is in mourning still. And we just can't handle loss, which we're really good at. But last week, Sunday night, the game was at 6.30. And so I had to plead with people to come to church, keep their attention, and hope that they would focus. Never has the church cleared out that fast on a Sunday night. It was unbelievable. So I understand some of you are Detroit fans. I talked to four guys this morning thinking they were... Bills or uh, Lions fans, and all four of you said we don't care. So I don't know if some of you do or not, but Pastor John said go till 7.30 tonight because you don't care about the Lions for whatever that's worth. I don't know if you do or not, but uh, go Detroit. I'd like to see you guys win. Uh, here we go. First Samuel chapter 30. Now, for months, and I'm sure it's always been the case, obviously uh, it's a phenomenon that we deal with in life. Everybody does, but for months... At least in my small circle, my church family and the Christians I know outside of my church family, I have seen a growing sense of discouragement in the faces of people. It seems like it's been easier and easier for people in Christianity to get discouraged. I've seen discouragement in the faces of ministers who are serving in the church while watching that ministry force deplete. People are stepping out of ministry. They're stepping down from ministry. And those who are serving are getting discouraged. I see spouses whose husbands or wives aren't where they should be or aren't putting the effort in. And there's discouragement in their marriage. I see discouragement in the lives of believers whose friends or family members are slowly either walking away from God or stepping back in their walk with God and that results in a in a decreased intimacy in friendship and relationship and, and that's discouraging and I've seen uh, between marriage and addictions and friendships being fragile and just in general the world around us seemingly burning up and falling apart people are getting more and more discouraged and in case you're not discouraged you just need to turn the news on and they'll be no shortage of material for which you to get discouraged by. 
In a cursed world, there's always something to be down about. Even if you don't know anybody, you just turn the news on and you see children being kidnapped, people losing their lives, uh, all of these atrocities and crimes and, and hardships seemingly happening around us. But let me say right out of the gate, and I'm going to say it twice because it's going to be so profound you won't get it. Discouragement is dangerous. Ready? I'm going to say it one more time. Discouragement is dangerous. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Everybody gets discouraged. It's not that dangerous. Well, you have to know the definition of discouragement. Discouragement is the removal of courage. So if discouragement takes courage away from us, then we're going to have a very difficult time doing right because doing right always takes courage. Everything right takes courage to do because there are so many things going against us. Even coming to church for a lot of people takes courage because there are people, I'm sure, in this room tonight that are socially uncomfortable with crowds and would just be more than happy to sit at home and stream or be by themselves. I certainly have plenty of those individuals in our church where they're just uncomfortable around people and it takes a lot of effort to get dressed up, to get in the car, and to go to church. You might not be that person, but there are people who are like that. Uh, For you, it may be sharing the gospel, giving a gospel tract to somebody or talking to somebody about the gospel. That takes courage. Very few people just naturally walk into a conversation and can do that. Uh, Leading your family, gentlemen, that takes courage because it's not always going to be popular. It's not always going to be easy. Making peace where there is contention, that takes a lot of courage. Standing up against wickedness in our world, that takes courage. And if we're discouraged, we're void of courage, and therefore we will not do right. I don't know what your vice is or what your temptation is, but if you like ice cream, Have you noticed how easy it is to eat a half gallon of ice cream when you're discouraged? Right? When the bills lose for Buffalonians, we just keep eating. We just don't care. We, we, don't, we don't stop spooning it in. Because why bother? Why bother? The world is so bad. Or if you're down and out, have you noticed how, how hard it is to get out of bed the next morning? It's hard to say no to the flesh. It's hard to resist our nature when we're discouraged. We need courage. We do bad things when we're discouraged. That's just how we operate. And the Old Testament gives us a few examples. Moses understood this. In fact, uh, there were some individuals in the land of Israel, or in the nation of Israel, that wanted to stay on the other side of the Jordan River once they got close to coming in. And Moses was very angry with them. And he said to them these words, he said, Hey, 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 thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up unto the valley of Eshcol, they saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel. And if you know the story about the twelve spies... When the ten said we can't do it, the nation was just broken and they were discouraged. What did they do next? They demonstrated unbelief. And the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. What prompted their unbelief? It was the discouragement of the spies. 
Later on, we see in Numbers 21 that the people of Israel journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. And the Bible says the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. They just, oh, this is so hard. This is longer than we thought, harder than we thought. And they got discouraged, the Bible tells us. Well, in the next verse, the Bible says that they spake against Moses and they spake against God. They did bad things because they were discouraged. They didn't have the courage to have the right attitude, the right mindset, and trust their leadership. And as a result, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. So discouragement, if you get nothing else tonight, because you're thinking about the lions or you're just thinking about how boring this is, if you get nothing else, listen to me very carefully. Discouragement is far from an innocent emotion. Discouragement is far from innocent. It will lead you, it will cause you as an individual to do things that will hurt you and those around you. It is far from a harmless part of the ups and downs of life. It is dangerous. And any good leader knows that. Your pastor has to manage the morale in the church because if he knows you get discouraged over something, you'll do things that will harm you and harm others. That's why in the book of Colossians, Paul said very simply, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And it would be easy to say, well, come on, big babies, get with it. Come on, don't don't be a whiner, get up. Well, Paul says, if your kids get discouraged, they're not going to have the courage to do right. And I've watched it throughout my life as a second-generation Christian. Fathers who are rough and tough and cannot read the room of their own children and their spirit, these kids grow up discouraged that they'll never please their dad, they'll never be able to do right, and they don't have the courage to resist that pretty girl or that intimidating man or that drug dealer or that peer group, and they give in because they don't have the courage to say no. It takes courage to do right. We have to recognize how dangerous it is. I found this fascinating, too, when I was studying this topic some time ago. In Isaiah 42.4, the Bible prophesied that Jesus would not be discouraged. And at first glance, well, whoop de doo Unless there is something really powerful and insightful about the dangers of discouragement, Jesus Christ would not be without courage. So I don't know where you are tonight. You might be discouraged this evening. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've wrestled with discouraged. And if you have, you probably have noted that it's been harder to pick up your Bible and read consistently. Perhaps it's been harder to sing that song, to make melody in your heart. Perhaps it's been harder to come back to church on a Wednesday evening. Or maybe you've been giving up on your marriage at times because of discouragement. But I'd like to encourage you tonight to... Stop treating discouragement like an inevitable part of life that we just have to tolerate. We just have to endure. It's like the weather. It comes and goes. And when we're discouraged, we just hang in there. No, I think the Bible teaches us that we need to be intentional about defeating it and removing it and dealing with it lest we live any days without courage. 
And that's why we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30. There's no better story in all of the scriptures to learn about discouragement than 1 Samuel chapter 30. Uh, this is the well-known story of David, the son of Jesse. He's been running from King Saul for quite some time. And eventually he realized, I'm not going to win this battle. I've gone all over the wilderness. He seems to follow me wherever I go. Eventually I'm going to die if I don't stop running. So I'm going to leave the country. I'm going to settle in a place called Ziklag, and that's what he does. Meanwhile, on the other side of the border, God is essentially setting up the stage for Saul's demise. A battle has risen against the Philistines and the Israelites. Uh, the king would die. This would be his judgment, his punishment. And David thought it would be a good idea to join the Philistines, to demonstrate his loyalty to his new nation, the nation that would accept and take him in. And so he goes to the battlefield and says to the lords of the, of the Philistines, he says, hey, I'm here, I'm on your side. I got all my boys. We're kind of good at this thing called war. So count us in. And all the Philistine lords are just like, uh, yeah, I, this is the guy that killed kind of our big guy. He killed Goliath. And he's kind of known to take out hundreds of our men. So I'm not sure we can trust him to be serving with us. Because when we get into battle, he could turn on us and we could be surrounded by Jewish soldiers. So thank you, but no thank you. Head on home. And that's exactly what they do. And unfortunately, when they get back home, things don't go well. So let's read a, a few of these verses. I'll do my best to bring this together for sake of time. But verse number one, it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So, David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Does this sound familiar, by the way? Have you paid attention to the news? What has happened in Israel is nothing, nothing new. This has been happening for centuries and centuries and centuries. This is the world of barbaric activity. Verse 4, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. Verse number 6, and the Bible says, and David was greatly distressed. Why? Because he lost his wives and his kids, Right? Well, that's just part of the story. It says, For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. This guy, David, no stranger to hardship. He was a shepherd, so in the middle of nature, he dealt with hardship. As a, as a servant of the king, he dealt with jealousy from the king. And here he is now in a foreign land. He's away from home. He's lost his home. He's been rejected by his former employer. He's now been rejected by his present employers. His employees are talking about stoning him. He lost everything back at home. His life's been a disaster ever since he killed Goliath. His wives have been taken captive. They don't know if they're alive. They don't know if they're being assaulted. His kids have been gone. I mean, this is as bad as it gets. Greatly distressed is an understatement, I think, for what he's dealing with. 
But if there was ever a time to be discouraged, it was here. And yet we read in verse number 6, no small, no small accomplishment. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. This is, without question, one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture. These are nine words that if you want to finish your Christian life, and if you want to finish it well, and if you have any hope of finishing it with joy, as Paul wanted to, you've got to know these nine verses. You've got to know them very well. This is a spiritual skill that I believe belongs in the top five of every believer if you want to have a good life in Christ. If you want to hear the Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you've got to know these nine words. If you're going to do anything substantial for God, know these nine words. We're going to break them down, give you four things that I hope will help you defeat discouragement in your life. Number one, you defeat discouragement by refusing to live with it. You defeat discouragement by refusing to live with it. I think, of, I think it a fair conclusion to say that David was the most, or one of the most, courageous men in Scripture. We read about him not being afraid of a lion, not being afraid of a bear, not being afraid of a giant, not being afraid of armies of Philistines, and not even really being afraid of rejection as he goes and offers his services to the Philistines there. And I don't know about you, but who can say in their lifetime they killed a lion, a bear, and a giant without a gun. Isn't that incredible? Without a, without a weapon that we're familiar with. This man was an incredible individual who was not afraid, seemingly, of anything. Uh, courage was his middle name. So, what was a little discouragement to this great conqueror? Despite everyone in his life at this point seemingly turning on him, we read two simple words, but David. Which implies a refusal to live with what he was dealing with. But David implies a resistance to what was coming his way. It was a persistent resistance to entertaining discouragement. A real effort to confront discouragement. It was like saying, the lion ran into the flock, but David. The bear took the lamb, but David. The giant disdained the armies of Israel, but David. Discouragement, distress came upon him, but David. The phrase, but David, appears in the Bible 15 times. Which tells me he's a man that did not go with the flow. He did not let the winds of life push him around, nor did he let the waves of life uh, push him around. He did not let the hardship and emotions of life keep him down from doing what he was called to do. Courage was David's middle name. And to be discouraged was not an option. If you know the story about David, he unfortunately committed a great crime with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba's child was smitten with sickness. And he laid on his face and he begged God for mercy and he fasted. But when that baby died, it's kind of amazing what he did. The servants were astonished. 
The Bible says that as soon as that baby died, that David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. The, the servants just thought, a king, I don't understand. You, you spent time on your face begging God for mercy, mourning during the sickness of your child. But as soon as he died, you got up and acted like nothing had happened. That's because it's but David. I can't change that. I'm not going to stay down because of that. I have one option. It's either get up or stay down. And David doesn't stay down. He gets up. Because he was wired to do courageous and great things. And you and I, when discouragement comes knocking on our door, we need to see it as a bad thing. Not a normal thing. You know, when tough stuff comes your way, people don't like you. People criticize you. Problems come your way. And you just think, oh, boy, that's really discouraging. Right there and then, you have to say, but John, but Rick, but Jessica, but Tara. It's no, 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 no. It's come to my door, but it's not here to stay because it's bad for me. So I'm going to resist it. I'm going to keep it out of my life. Because the longer discouragement lingers the more likely we are to do bad things. Number two, you defeat discouragement by recognizing that it is your problem. We defeat discouragement by recognizing it is our problem. David knew how to handle rejection. He was no stranger to it. His brothers, if you recall, in the Valley of Elah, rejected him. What are you doing here, you naughty little guy? You're just uh, interested in things that don't belong to you. He does defeat Goliath, but is rejected in the palace. And here he is rejected again on the battlefield. But David understood the flawed and insecure nature of mankind. He understood how quickly people could turn on him. He understood how lonely leadership would be. And he understood that his men were grieving. When people are grieving, they... They're very passionate. Uh, they're hasty. They can say things and do things that are hurtful to the rest of the world around them. David understood how family, how much family means to people and that people won't hesitate when families are involved to say and do hasty and hurtful things. And he understood that his distress was his problem. His emotions were his problems to deal with. And that's why we read in 1 Samuel 36, But David encouraged himself. Here's what happens when we get discouraged. All of us. We immediately look for someone else to blame. Well, she criticized me. He criticized me. He forsook me. She lied about me. Well, he stopped working, and here I am stuck working. We look for somebody else to blame. And the danger with doing that is we hold ourselves hostage to the behavior of somebody else. So I'm discouraged because you said something bad about me. And I'm not going to be encouraged until you say something nice about me. Well, you lied about me, Jeff. So I'm going to be discouraged and sad until you apologize to me. Well, my spouse, they just don't seem to care about the marriage. They don't put a lot of effort into it, so I'm discouraged. And until you show some effort, I'll be discouraged. You're holding yourself hostage to somebody else's behavior that you or I cannot change. Why is that a problem? Because discouragement steals us, robs us of courage. 
which means we won't do the right thing. And so the longer we stay in that state, stuck on somebody else's behavior or treatment, we're more likely to do terrible things. So, yeah, people are discouraging, but we choose to remain discouraged or not because it's our decision. It's our choice. And David was not the guy who was sitting in his tent and just his arms are crossed with his finger in his mouth sucking it. Well, I'm not going to go out there till someone comes in here and apologizes to me. I'm not going to go out there till their little leader out there says they're sorry for wanting to throw stones at me. I'll come out, guys, when you praise me for my leadership and you acknowledge my innocence. No, but David encouraged himself because he knew it was his problem, his emotion, his mindset. Number three, you defeat discouragement by reminiscing about God's faithfulness. We defeat discouragement by reminiscing about God's faithfulness. We first have to refuse to live with it. We then have to recognize it's our issue, our problem. And then we start to reminisce about God's faithfulness to help us deal with our discouragement. It says, but David encouraged himself. And that next next three-word phrase is so precious. In the Lord. Now, if I was a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I could never get the two straight. I would tell you to encourage yourself by sitting down, getting a notebook out, and write all the good things about you. Look in the mirror and find all the wonderful things you like about yourself. Uh, Just, you know, find some positive things about you. Look at all your trophies from high school. Go find all your your medals from elementary school. Go look at the pictures you painted for mommy and daddy. You're a good person. You've done good things. And you'd be tempted to go look for things inside of you to make you feel better. But David didn't do that. David encouraged himself, but he did it in the Lord. That, That phrase, that phrase, when you take the totality of Scripture, it points us to something beyond ourselves. It points us to a relationship we have in Christ. And we know David is the great psalmist, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So he wrote all of these psalms, these these beautiful songs, these prayers that point to a relationship with God. So David didn't go into his trophy room and look around and say, you got this, David. You got this. You're a strong man. You killed Goliath. You got this, big guy. No, he went into the room of spiritual devotion. He went into the room where he could look into the past and see all the times that God had got him through something. Not what he got himself through, but what God got him through. He communed with God and he remembered God's faithfulness over the years. He remembered when God was faithful when others weren't. He remembered when God was faithful when he wasn't. He went back to those days as a shepherd when he felt the overwhelming presence of God in nature, when it was just him and those sheep and the big sky above him. He went back to that day when Samuel anointed him with oil, something he did not deserve, something he did not expect. He went back to the day when he cut off the head of Goliath and remembered what just happened but God. He went back to the day when God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Saul and his men, when God delivered him out of the hand of his enemies. He remembered that many have abandoned him, many have forsook him, many had ignored him, many had doubted him. But never God. 
He remembered writing wherever he was in the field, perhaps with the flocks surrounding him, understanding this beautiful relationship that he had with God. He remembered writing, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He remembered writing, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And in his tent at that hour, David didn't need anyone to apologize to him. He didn't need anyone to praise him. He didn't need anyone to help him. For him, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. God was enough. If the whole world abandoned him, God was enough because God did not leave him. And if we're going to defeat discouragement in our lives, we have to refuse to live with it. We have to recognize that it's our problem, but we have to reminisce about those moments and times in the past when God was faithful. And this is what's dangerous for young people. Many of you don't have those yet. Which is why so many young people between ages 18 and 26, when trouble comes, they, they walk away from God. But if you can hang in there, young people, hang in there and develop a walk with God. With each year you walk with God, you get more, 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 more memories of God's faithfulness. And so when the next one comes, you just look back and you say, oh yeah, God was there with me then and he'll be with me now. And if you just can develop greater uh, memories of God and you getting through difficulties and troubles, uh, you'll be able to get through things, but it's got to be in the Lord. And may I suggest we stop blaming people for being people, because they're people. I don't know why we wake up and think people are going to be angels. They're more, they're more inclined to be demons than angels. Unless we think of ourselves something we ought not we have discouraged people too. God reveals his faithfulness to us not when everybody's faithful. We don't need it. Because we have human, human beings that we can see in here being faithful. Do you know when you know when God is faithful? When no one else is. The great book of Lamentations written by the weeping prophet Jeremiah himself. He did not write about the faithfulness of God being great when everything was great. He wrote about it when everything was awful. Terrible. The whole nation forsook God. And that's when he said, great is thy faithfulness. We, we learn about God's kindness when people are unkind. We learn about God's mercy when people are unmerciful. We learn about, about God's love when people are unloving. Those are the most fertile times in our life. And the more we deal with people, the more we learn about God's faithfulness. And we learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And there's the strength. But my favorite is the final. And that is number four. We defeat discouragement by realizing your God still has a will. And I'll explain this, but if you're writing notes, just write down. Number four, you defeat discouragement by realizing your God still has a will. 
If you get this far in your battle with discouragement, this is where the strength is. This is where the power is. This is where the, the, the energy comes from spiritually to get beyond discouragement. The Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. And we could have put a period right there and it would have been good enough. But the Bible added his God. Well, what do we need to know that for? Duh, we know that the Lord is his God. But it's important that we see that. Yes, in the Lord. It was a spiritual thing. He realized God had been faithful. He realized God would be faithful. But that his God speaks volumes. It tells us that if God is really our God, then it doesn't matter how we feel. It matters what he wants. Sometimes we get this idea that God is here for us. That he's our blanket to warm us in coldness, our pacifier to soothe us in our sadness. But if God was David's God, then that means he's like God, like G-O-D, like in control, like supreme authority, meaning he calls the shots. So rather than asking, God, help me. David was saying, God, what do you want me to help you with? Meaning, I'm discouraged, but it doesn't matter how I feel. I take orders from you, not vice versa. David understood that it wasn't his emotions that should be calling the shots in our life. It was David. And this is so important because you know discouragement. Everyone in this room does if you're over the age of two. But when we're discouraged, is it not true we only care how we feel? Isn't that true? If you say amen, you're not sounding bad. You can do it. Right, Johnny? Yeah, amen, there it is. But if God is truly our God, I mean, our G-O-D, like we fall before him, prostrate, worship him. Like we give him and sacrifice to him whatever he wants. If he is our God, our maker, the one who could crush us in, in just a second uh, and in a thought, if he is our God, then we should only care how he feels. But when we're discouraged, we seem to only care about how we feel. David understood that his life was about serving and pleasing God, whether it was easy or hard, fun or or difficult, whether people accepted or rejected him. Uh, we started just a few minutes late, so uh, Pastor John gave me a few extra minutes. He didn't say that out loud, but he did. So First Chronicles chapter 12, keep your finger there in First Samuel 30. But real quick, real quick, we are almost done. I just want to show you this neat little part of the story. First Chronicles chapter 12. There's an interesting detail in 1 Chronicles 12, which is a, a supplemental story to 1 Samuel 30. It gives us some additional details. And I think it tells us that David was already aware of some direction, perhaps, that God was giving him before what would be a big thing in his life. But 1 Chronicles 12, 19. And there fell some of Manasseh to David when... He came with the Philistines against Saul to battle. 
But they, David, helped them, the Philistines, not. For the lords of the Philistines, upon advisement, sent him away, saying, He will fall to his master, Saul, to the jeopardy of our heads. Verse 20. As he went to Ziklag. So this is David leaving the battlefield, having been rejected by his new employers. As he is going back to Ziklag, the Bible says there fell to him, meaning there... Some great men fell to him in his leadership of Manasseh, Adna, Josebed, Jedeel, Michael, Josebed, and Elihu, and Zilthai, captains of the thousands that were of Manasseh. Verse 21, and they helped David against the band of the rovers, for they were all mighty men of valor and were captains in the host. Go back to 1 Samuel 30 and we'll be done. Why did, I, why did I want you to see that? Well, when we get discouraged, we unconsciously think that God doesn't care what we do. It's a real weird thing we do, but when we get discouraged, we sit down on our couch, we get the remote on, we turn something on, we start eating our half gallon of ice cream, and we think, because we're discouraged, that God's like, oh, well, he's discouraged, so we'll just hit the pause button on life for a second. Boop. I mean, he's discouraged. What else are we going to do? And God's just like, well, let me know when you're done being discouraged. We'll talk about life. But that's not at all what happens. God still has a will for us. That's why we're supposed to pray every day, thy, thy will be done as it is in heaven and earth. So he has a will whether we're discouraged or encouraged, invested or not so invested. And so God, knowing the future, knowing that there would be this incident between Ziklag and David, God had led men to David, men of valor, strong men, that just happened to join David's army the day or two before they get to Ziklag to see their, their children and wives taken. And so I think David, seeing all this, reminiscing about God's faithfulness, processed that God was, was equipping him, not abandoning him for the next move. And that's why we read in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 30, after he had encouraged himself in the Lord, his God, David said to Abiathar the priest, to Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And verse 8 says, And David inquired at the Lord, saying, I'm not happy. <laughs> Fix my problems. Make everybody be nice to me. God, you know I didn't do anything wrong. No, no, he simply says, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? He's not telling God what to do. He's not asking God to help him. He just said, God, what's your will for me? He sees around men who are mourning and weeping for their children and wives. He sees these other guys who are just standing by waiting to help out. And he says, God, what do you want me to do? And I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm obnoxious. Maybe I'm dramatic. Maybe I've watched too many movies. But look what God says. Pursue, But I think it's kind of like this. Sick'em boy. And but David gets on his horse, comes racing out of that tent. And oh, I don't know if the horse was in the tent, but he comes out of the tent, gets on the horse, and says, gentlemen, let's ride. And off he goes. But here's the thing. There was no discouragement in him at all at that point. He did not care that the men wanted to stone him. He did not care that Saul rejected him. He did not care that the Philistines didn't uh, accept him. He didn't care about all of that. Why, why, why? Because he learned the will of God. 
And it freed him from discouragement. It empowered him to do the next step. He left all that stuff behind and he went forward because he recognized it wasn't about him. It was about God's will. So he encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. God's will for us is never sitting and sulking. It's never bemoaning our so-called friends and family. And it's never living a life void of courage. God's will for us is always serving him in salvaging our families. Guys in this room, let me be very transparent to you. As a man growing up in a world where men are being pushed down, being minimized, being encouraged to be you know, more feminine and less masculine, guys, our families cannot afford to have discouraged men. Gentlemen, your wives do not deserve a man who cannot encourage himself in the Lord his God. We have to learn to deal with discouragement and get up so that we can go fight for them. David didn't stay in his tent whining like a big baby. Everybody was broken, but he encouraged himself in the Lord because his wives needed him. His children needed him. And I am shocked that so many men have the emotional fortitude of a child. Your favorite sport team lost. Oh, well, get on with life. So what if the pastor doesn't do what you want him to do? So what if your boss doesn't give you what you want? Stop being a baby. Encourage yourself in the Lord your God because your families need you. Once David got on his horse, the Bible says he recovered everything. Nothing was lacking to him. Discouragement is dangerous. And because I know your pastor and because I know this church just enough, I know you know that very well. You need not to stay discouraged. More importantly, you cannot afford to remain discouraged. So encourage yourself in the Lord, your God. It will liberate you. And you'll learn a skill that will take you to the end of your journey with joy. Because God is faithful. All day. Every day. Father in heaven, thank you for the attentiveness of these, your people. Bless them for being in your house, for opening your word, for submitting to your spirit. And God, may my passion not serve in any other way than an encouragement to them to defeat discouragement both today and until you come. God, encourage these precious people. Encourage them with your faithfulness. And do great things in Hope Baptist Church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.